Welcome back to Attorney Time, the legal podcast for the business-minded, hosted by attorneys at the law firm Holly Troxel. Attorney Time brings legal expertise to you. In each episode, Holly Troxel's team of experienced attorneys will cover a broad range of legal topics, from intellectual property and patents to tips for startup companies. Well, we'd like to welcome everybody to our podcast. Uh, my name is Karsten Peterson. I'm here with Taylor Barton, and we are uh, Holly Troxel attorneys, part of the employment practice group here at the firm. Taylor, last year's been pretty crazy with uh, with COVID. How many questions have we got about COVID-related issues? <laughs> yeah, I don't think the phones stopped ringing off the hook, um, especially kind of in the employment realm. Uh, wild. I don't think any of us saw we'd be in this position in the first place. And then especially 18, over 18 months later here, we, we still are. Um, and the questions just keep on coming. They haven't, haven't stopped. Yeah, of course, our employment practice over the last year and a half has been really dominated by COVID-19. Ever since the, the pandemic really hit here in the U.S. in March, uh, shortly thereafter, of course, there was some emergency legislation with the Paid Leave Act and interpreting um, that the, that new law um, and, and the guidance kept kind of coming through the EEOC and other uh, government entities on how to interpret that law. Again, you know, we had a lot of, lot of questions with that that dominated you know, most of the spring and, and into the summer. And then as we at least hoped that businesses were getting back up and people returning to work, we started dealing a lot with the return to workplace issues, right? And the the working from home, remote remote uh, workplace uh, issues, and and how how employers dealt with that. Which I think is that one's probably here to stay, right? You know, if there's one thing we take away from all of this, it's a lot of employers have instituted policies allowing kind of hybrid work schedules and maybe full remote work. I know we've had some clients that have just you know, some certainly are back in the workplace, but others have just said, hey, maybe we don't need all this space and we're just going to do this thing from home. So, that, yeah, well, good point. That brings up a whole bunch of issues. The bag there. of issues that we're probably not going <laughs> to have time for today. Yeah, we probably won't get into that today, but you're, you're absolutely right on, you know, some of those remote workers uh, is okay for some employers, right? It's going to work if you're a lot of times professional based. Yeah or you know, call center based or something like that. But obviously that's not gonna work for a, a restaurant or a construction company or a lot of those things. So a lot of those the employers now, as they're returning to work or hope to return to work, is they have to balance COVID, which is not going, it doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon. Yeah, I know. And unfortunately, yep. and so how they deal with uh, keeping their workers safe, uh, what kind of, um, requirements are going to have at work with uh, with masking, and we're going to get into the vaccines today. That's the whole po- point of the podcast here is talk about the developments with the vaccines and just try to keep their business productive and operational. And we, oh. saw, we saw a lot of businesses shut down yep. last year, right? Yep. Yeah. So. And, I mean, it doesn't take much to look around and see signs on the door of businesses closed for the day, you know, just because, they, I mean, pr- frankly, we are in a little bit of a labor shortage, it seems like. Um so yeah, it's it's a balancing of a lot of difficult things all at once. Right, right, and you know, good point with the labor shortage. There is employers have to be careful on how hard of a line they they want to make on on some of these difficult issues. 
because it's it's difficult to find employees, right? It's really right. employee friendly market. Anywhere you go, anywhere you see you help go. wanted. Yep. Right. Are you working anywhere else yet? Did you take up a part time job? <laughs> yeah. No, not yet. No, yeah. <laughs> hasn't come to that. Hasn't come that to point that. yet. Yeah. Right. So you get a side job at a <laughs> at a restaurant. Boy, when I was a kid, you know, if I saw a job at fifteen dollars an hour, I couldn't imagine that. Right. I was lucky to make six bucks an hour yeah. or so maybe we maybe we have a future making podcasts maybe that'll be our, our next side hustle we'll see how many people would tune in that. that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so but at any rate a uh, lot of issues swirling around with the with the employers and and vaccine issues and so today we wanted to you know kind of talk about the the vaccines starting with uh with the fda uh, approval of, of at least the Pfizer vaccine. It sounds like Moderna is coming fairly yep. shortly. I, I would expect that. I haven't Should seen anything be. else. Yep. And so we we have we have that coming and, and maybe possibly the, the other vaccine as well. Uh, Jonathan Johnson uh, may be getting full approval. But in any event, as we have seen this full approval of the, of at least the Pfizer vaccine, you know, what have employers done with that? Have, mm-hmm. How have they used that? So we want to talk about that. And then, of course, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Biden administration announced um, its its plan and, uh, and what maybe has been improperly characterized as the vaccine mandate. That is a component to it. But, of course, we'll right. talk about an, another option. Yeah, the alternative. Right, right. right. And that alternative being... Uh, testing, mm-hmm. and so we'll talk about we'll talk about that, and you know how employers might look to implement that. But again, brand new, um, brand new uh, law requirement coming down the pike, and we hope to see some guidance on that. So far, I haven't seen any nope. guidance. Have you on nope. on how this nope. is going to be implemented? Nope. And you know, one of the things, and we'll talk about that, but it should be we, probably in the next couple of weeks is what we're seeing. Uh, by all indications, we've seen from OSHA and federal government um, on that, but um, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, sounds good. So let's first talk about uh, this, Taylor. Let's talk about the FDA approval process. Yeah. You know, we know that the these vaccines, the, the three vaccines initially had the emergency uh, use authorization, and now we have Pfizer with the full FDA approval. And I'm not sure the general layperson, including myself, really understood what that meant, what kind of process is to get that full approval. Can you share with us what that exactly means? Yeah. Yeah. So like you mentioned, uh, the initial round of vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, um, and Johnson and Johnson, I, I can't remember where AstraZeneca falls on that scale, all received the EUA, which is the emergency youth authorization. Uh, essentially what that is, is the drug or the vaccine um, whatever the medical product might be, isn't uh, fully approved. It uh, enters kind of an emergency phase where um, the entities or you know, the federal government or uh, the FDA in this case looks at everything and balances the risks and the benefits of the particular drug or vaccine um, and determines is, there, is the need for it greater than the risk of administering it. Um, obviously, with the rates that uh, hospitals were filling up, ICU beds were filling up, um, and those sorts of just general um, uh, things that were going on associated to the vaccine or associated to the virus, excuse me, um, led them to believing that there was a greater risk 
or greater benefit to administering the vaccine than risk of doing so. Um, and so that is what led to the emergency youth authorization. So that allows them to um, administer it uh, under an emergency standard. It's not fully approved. Uh, there's other, you know, legal requirements that have to be a, uh, followed in regard to that uh, authorization. And so th during that whole, during the authorization of that, and while it's been being administered, the full approval process has never stopped. Um, in fact, it's only ramped up. And so that's kind of what I'll talk about next is, as a lot of people have seen is Pfizer is now fully approved by the FDA. Moderna is probably coming um, down the pipeline soon. We haven't heard much on it yet, but it, you can probably be expecting it to be coming soon. And what does that approval process look like and how is it different? And essentially, as I mentioned, it never stops. Um, there's no real cutting corners. I think that's a, a common uh, misnomer or misconception. I mean, there's different ideas on what exactly cutting a corner is. Um, and to be frank, I think that's something that we'll probably avoid because it's going to be the subject of endless debate by a lot of people. Um, you know, and uh, when it push comes to shove, the FDA followed the same process here that it does with any drug, which it compiles data and which they had compiled plenty of pre-trial data, uh, pre-emergency youth authorization data, a lot of that, continued reviewing that. And then with the emergency use authorization, um, outside of the test groups they were currently, or they were previously reviewing, they were then continuing to review data from uh, all the vaccines that had been administered under the EUA. So that data was also taken into account. And you got to think this is a massive amount of <clears throat> information that they're sorting through. And so during this whole FDA approval process, uh, there are um, mechanisms by which a drug or vaccine in this case can be um, dedicated more resources, which is what they did. Essentially, they kind of file an emergency, not an emergency application, um, but more of like a um, priority, I guess, is what it would be, priority application. What that does is it doesn't change uh any of the requirements for full FDA approval. What it does is it pulls resources away from other drugs, um, from say people who are reviewing data um, and, and things like that, pulls resources from the review of other uh, medical treatments and medical drugs and vaccinations to focus on this specific one. And so that's what happened here. More resources were pulled uh, away from <clears throat> some of those other drugs that weren't associated with COVID, maybe not as pressing uh, and dedicated towards the review of Pfizer. And that's likely what you'll be seeing with Moderna as well. So the, the you know, we're, we won't debate, you know, whether or not the, it was a, is a rushed type of approval. Yeah. You know, we've seen that type of argument. We, we won't get into that because our, our purpose here is to talk about the implications of that. Right. The fact is it has been, Pfizer has been approved. Correct. And, and, you know, we won't get into the debate if it was too fast, you know, if, yeah. You know, if we were not being given all the facts or, yep. or whatever. But the point is, is we have an approved vaccine. Yep. And it went through the it went through the same process as others. Yeah. So the, the time, you know, that it was, you know, fairly quick. Yep. You know, doesn't mean that. It skipped steps. It skipped anything. Correct. Yeah. Okay. It went through the full process. Yes. Okay. So what does that mean? We, if we have a full we have a full approval for the Pfizer vaccine. What have we seen in terms of how employers have reacted to this? For example, under the emergency use authorization, we were already getting calls. Employers had questions of, okay, there's a vaccine now available. 
how do we implement that? How do what are we going to do in our workplace? Are we going to require require it? Are we going to ignore it? Are we going to take a middle ground approach? What have we seen from some employers, um, not just locally but but nationally? You know, hitting the news story since this full approval of, of Pfizer, which I understand my understanding was that occurred in just a month ago, about you know third week of August or so. Yeah. Um, we saw that full approval. So what kind of reactions have we seen from employers with that full approval? Yeah. I, I mean, I, it doesn't take much to, to find a headline. Um, you know, a quick Google search will show you just about all of them. Um, but I, there's been a lot. Yeah, employers have taken different approaches. I mean, for example, you have Delta Airlines and some of the other airlines, but Delta in particular, um, it decided it was going to kind of go more of the punitive route um, for people who didn't, for employees who didn't want to get the vaccine um, after it was approved by the FDA and implemented a policy in which they were <clears throat> going to increase the insurance um, premiums for their employer-provided um, insurance and basically cause their employees to kick in on those payments um, for employer-provided health insurance. For the unvaccinated? For unvaccinated, correct. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then you add, this was kind of a surprising one, was Goldman Sachs. Um, yeah, their offices were requiring... Um, all individuals, not just employees, actually clients as well, um, to be vaccinated in the building. That one kind of came as a, an eyebrow raiser to a lot of people. Um, and then you have, you know, the military mandating the vaccine um, and federal government workers also mandating the vaccine um, as they're allowed to do. Uh, but then kind of looking at pr other private employers, you know, particularly as it relates to my clients and I'm sure yours as well, um, we hadn't seen much of a, a mandate, um, it, actually at all really, as any examples of employees mandating the vaccine. We did see examples of employers and clients encouraging uh, vaccinations, um, actively encouraging their employers to go get vaccinated, having vaccination clinics on site, things like that. Um, but outside of that, not a whole lot. Where we saw the mandates was from, from the hospitals when it came to um, mandating the vaccine. So that's kind of what we saw from, <clears throat> from the employer perspective. I don't know. Did you see anything different on your end? Well, I, I didn't. And it's interesting how, you know, some of these employers have had to be flexible, you yeah. know, in terms of how they implemented this. For example, you know, just this week or the end of last week, we know that the hospitals, you know, St. Luke's and St. Al's uh, and Primary Health had a mandatory you know, vaccine requirement for their employees, um, subject to some exemptions that we'll talk about here in a minute. But the with the with the new strain on the healthcare and the crisis of care standards we're in, you know, they have been forced or made the decision to uh, temporarily suspend that uh, yeah. just because they need you know boots on the ground. They need those workers. Yeah, and for those of you that don't know what he's referring to, he's referring to um, Idaho recently has undergone a shift in its healthcare. Uh, pri well, not priority, but just essentially we're running out of beds. I, yeah. Plain I mean, and simple. Is what, right. They're running out of beds. And so they um, have relaxed those requirements um, in an effort to hopefully keep employees um, engaged and on, on payroll and, and able to yeah, help health, out with care. Exactly. I mean, they, they were – their hand was kind of forced on that a little because of the, the shortages and the and the healthcare workers being overworked started in – in uh, North Idaho, and then it's been an act for a whole state. I know down here in the you know Southwest Treasure Valley area, we've had similar problems. But you know, once again, the point being is 
we've seen employers have to be a little bit flexible on that. Yep. Although they would like to take, you know, a certain approach, it becomes what's real practical. Um, you know, given some of these problems and, and issues with the, the labor shortage, uh, circumstances in which we are at. And so, uh, but the bottom line is so far we have not seen, at least my clients, you know, have not chosen to take the absolutely mandatory uh, vaccine requirement. You know, I've seen that some take a hands-off thing, a hands-off approach, yep. right? They think that in their business it works not to get in the middle of that. And if people choose to be vaccinated, uh, that's great. You know, maybe they have a mask policy, maybe they don't. And and I've seen real hands-off type of approach. And I've seen, I guess what I've seen more of is this encouragement idea, Yeah. you know, and, and educating where needed. You know, we've seen so much of this over the last several months um, education, it's hard to believe people, you know, don't know the different points or, you know, the, the different issues that are out there. So I'm not so sure that there's a lot of education yet to be done because uh, a lot of people are, are, you know, have taken positions, kind of put yep. their foot in the, you know, putting their foot in the sand. But employers can still encourage that, right? And, and there's certain, you know, some, some de minimis type of incentives right. um, that employers can do. Yep. Uh, you know, things like that. So that's really what I've seen in my in my practice. And then all of a sudden, of course, a couple of weeks ago, Biden administration comes out with right. the vaccine mandate. And, and and we know that that applies to private employers with 100 employees or mm. more, which is a lot of employers. Right. Yep. And yeah. And uh, and what they're going to do with that. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, what our understanding of that mandate is, and I call it a mandate, you know, that's probably yeah. a misnomer, like I said, but what that is um, and what, you know, maybe we see on the horizon and, and what to expect in terms of, um, you know, how that's going to be implemented. Yeah. Yeah. And so just on that point, it's, you're right, it is a little confusing because I think the administration calls it a mandate, um, but that term is used also later. So I'll just call it a requirement. But the, the essentially the Biden administration came out two weeks ago with their um, kind of a six-point, six-prong approach to the path out of the pandemic is what they're calling it. Um, and we're only going to kind of focus on, on one of those, which relates to private employers. There's also provisions in there um, related to, you know, federal contractors, federal government workers, um, healthcare employees, some, some big implications for healthcare employees. Um, and we won't go too in-depth on those. But as it relates to the private employers, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's going to apply um, – they're issuing. They're going to be issuing the rules and regulations under um, an OSHA ETS, which is an Emergency Temporary Standard. Um, and basically, what that does is it allows um, OSHA to implement regulations uh, to protect protect workers in the workplace against things that are considered a grave threat. Um, and so that's where the authority is coming from. It's going to be interesting because what we've received so far from the administration and even from OSHA at this point has been pretty bare bones. Um, two weeks ago, the day after the, uh, the announcement was made, they held a little webinar, a few webinars and discussed a little bit about it and what the timeline was looking like. And basically what we, um, came to know was it's going to be within the next several weeks, probably that we're going to be receiving these new regulations. Um, it could be next week. It could be in the next four weeks. No guarantees there, but we do know it's incoming. 
uh, and they're taking it seriously. It's, it's estimated to impact uh, over 80 million workers, which is about two thirds of the country's workforce. And that's so, just yeah. private, that's private that's just employers. Pri- yep. That's yep. excluding all these government workers mm-hmm. and military yep. workers. Yep. So a substantial, substantial portion <clears throat> of the workforce. And what there's, there's been a lot of, I mean, talk about the phone ringing off the hook. This has been one that's, yeah, we just, it's keeping us busy. That's for sure. Uh, but you know, one of the things we, get a lot is who's it going to apply to? Uh, you know, does it apply to my business as an employer? And how do I count a hundred employees? Those sorts of questions. And you can expect the OSHA guidance and the rules and regulations to kind of hopefully lay that out. Um, all we can go off of is what we've seen in the past with similar legislation or rules, um, and regs such as like the family's first, um, coronavirus response act. Well, I was just going to mention on that, Taylor, the, I mean, that came to us um, the the end of March of 2020. And again, employers were aware of that act. They saw it coming. They, they were aware it was become effective at the first of April of 2020. Not a lot of time to figure out what that all means. We're getting bombarded with calls, right? On yep. what does this all mean? And we were doing our best to kind of predict what that all meant and how that was going to be implemented. And then little by little, what we saw over the course of several months, OSHA and, um, and Department of Labor issuing you know some guidance on that on their their frequently asked questions yep. some of the time we were right you know on on how we predicted it it would go there were some issues that that kind of surprised us yep but um the i guess the point being is there will be a learning curve on this i mean right now with limited guidance we know that we know what the this this new mandate states we know what this guidance states um but how is it going to be implemented? There's a, there's a ton of questions. And obviously employers have questions about that, you know, thinking, what am I going to do? How is this going to be implemented? Mm-hmm. And so we can only hope that there will be some additional yeah, information. Provided. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's hard to imagine a scenario where they don't understand the questions where OSHA does understand the questions that employers are going to have. And there's just going to be, like you said, a little bit of a learning curve and implementing and everything like that, which is why part of the reason OSHA is, kind of come out and said, hey, we're wanting employers to start adopting things like this now. Um, you know, I, as far as what the actual requirement is, um, they, OSHA is going to be requiring that all private employers either one, mandate vaccines of all of their employers or do we- All their employees. Sorry, employees. Did I say employers? I think so. That's all right. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's only Wednesday. Um, and Or- uh, require weekly testing for unvaccinated employees. So either way, you're going to need to know who's vaccinated uh, out of your employees. But that's kind of the choice that employers are left with. And I know you're going to talk about that a little bit, but um, it's going to be that covers all employers who are covered by OSHA. Um, One thing OSHA has come out and kind of suggested is that that 100 employee threshold is probably going to be based on company, not on job site, so not on location. Um, so if you are, you know, multiple branches, uh, spanning multiple areas and you have over a hundred employees because of that, but not at each individual job site, it's probably going to apply to you based off what we've seen in the past. Well, and that sounds pretty consistent. For example, with the, you know, I've looked at that issue and had questions about with the family medical leave act, mm-hmm. you know, and how you deal with remote workers. Cause there's a lot of companies, right. That have, right. have, uh, salesmen or, or other people not at the company headquarters. And so. I would expect to be consistent with that on how employees are counted. And based on past experience, it's pretty liberal, right, yep. on, on how those employees are counted. Yeah, 
Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, other issues are like joint employers, who's going to be responsible for checking and things like that? Or, you know, does it apply if I am a joint employer, or I only have part time employees? Is it going to, you know, for purposes of counting the employees, is that am I going to be covered? And like you just said, it's you can probably expect this to be construed very broadly, uh, given the objective here, which is to get more people vaccinated and more employees vaccinated. So um, you know what's interesting with this too is we the guidance has been that we can expect um, this to become effective you know fairly quickly. This yep. is not an idea or a, a something that's going to be months down the road. But what's interesting here and with the wrinkle on this one that I see is what's going to happen with some of these legal challenges because we've already seen governors mm -hmm. sign off and and AGs of certain states threatening legal action with this. I haven't seen a filed lawsuit yet, right. but Idaho's one of them, right? Yep. The, the, the AG has spoken out on this. Um, what's going to happen with that? Is there going to be uh, some sort of injunction before this is implemented? Mm -hmm. And uh, have you seen any guidance on that or, or forecasts on what's going to happen with those? You know, and I would anticipate everything I've seen that as soon as the OSHA regulations come out, Almost instantaneously, there's going to be a probably flood of some suits by <clears throat> interest groups or whomever uh, challenging the ETS. It's I don't. It's not clear on how a court. Well, it's never clear. You know this, but it's not clear here how a court's going to rule on the legality of this. I expect most challenges to be geared towards that grave threat standard, and the reason being. Um, based off guidance I've seen is I, I expect the challenge to be there, there because OSHA is issuing this based on the number of employees that a company has rather than the nature of the job. So if the actual um, job responsibilities kind of put you at more of a risk than other, um, you know, job uh, or other positions, you know, rather than basing it on some subjective standard like that, um, they kind of just went for the blanket approach. So I imagine that's probably where you're going to see most um, litigation and challenges geared towards is kind of attacking that grave threat standard. Um, but no, there's not a lot on where I guess, this is going to come out. I guess the upshot is, is employers, you know, shouldn't take it to the bank that there's going to be some massive delay with this implementation of these, of this mandate. It's, you know, what, what we're advising our clients to do is, assume that this is going to happen oh, and yeah. make plans now, right? Mm -hmm. Don't think that, oh, Idaho's never going to adopt this. We're, we're not going to follow it or, or whatever. Because as we know, if an employer chooses not to follow it, there's a pretty hefty fine. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They're saying it's up to 14,000 per violation. Right. Um, and I would expect this, that to be taken seriously. Um, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're very correct in that. i We've been advising clients to prepare for this, act like it's going to go into effect. I would not be banking on a legal challenge or successful legal challenge. Um, one of the things, you know, Idaho is a, a federal OSHA state rather than a state plan um, where states kind of have their, their own OSHA rules. Um, but even then, it's the state rules have to mirror the federal rule very closely and have to be just as strict in whatever they um, institute as far as regulation. So it's not going to vary that much. But just another wrinkle to keep in mind. Um, and, and sorry to cut you off, but on that state plan, you know, the states have to have essentially the, the approval, you know, from 
the feds that yep. their, their state plan is at least as stringent yeah. as OSHA standards. And so, for example, I know Utah is a state, yep. you know, state plan, but they they can't just lax their rules or nope. never get approved. And yep. so, again, I think the upshot here is is employers need to prepare, need to be taking steps now, so they're not surprised, they're not flat footed. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, another thing to keep in mind is how long does this emergency temporary standard last? And so, um, absent the legal challenges, the ETS is good for six months. So from the date it is implemented, um, it'll be in effect for six months, at which point it'll have to be replaced by a permanent OSHA standard. Um, but we'll see how that goes. So lots to think about, lots of employers to wrap their head around, lots of questions that are, are coming on, yeah. on how this is all going to, how this is all going to shake out. But again, like you said, this is going to affect a lot of employers. There's a lot of small businesses here in Idaho and in our in our area. Yeah. Um, but it's going to affect a lot of a lot of people. So take those steps now. Take this seriously. And so the employers now need to think about what are they going to do. Right. Right. How which which path are they going to to opt on following? Yeah. You know, and is uh, th- there's a lot of things right that go that play into this. It's not a it's not an easy type of decision. Um, and there's some some implications. And, right? and, we're, and, and you're talking about whether or not they're going to mandate vaccines or they're going to require testing, right? Yeah. That's what you're referring right. to. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so 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 there's a lot of things to, to think about. I mean, some of the things that, that, that come to mind, um, if you go the mandating the vaccine, again, we talked about the labor shortage. Are people going to walk out the door on this? Yep. You know, are they, they saying they're, they're going to quit? Or are they really going to quit? You know, you, you don't you don't know, and so you have to balance that of how how yep. serious employees how set it set on this. If you go the 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 vaccine route, also the morale issues, right? Even if somebody grudgingly is is vaccinated and and doesn't want to be, you know, or doesn't feel that that's right, so to speak, um, but they stay in the workplace, is that going to affect morale? What what's what's going to happen there? Um, and if you if of course you choose the vaccine route, you have the uh, accommodation issues as well that we'll talk about in just a minute of the medical type of exemptions and religious exemptions. We'll get into it in just a minute. Um, but a lot of things. And then if you go the if you choose the the testing route, who's going to pay for those tests? Yeah. You know, and and also not only that, but are they even available? Yeah. And I mean, thinking back, I mean, I, everything I've seen and I, I tell me if I'm off base here, but is that it lo- it's looking like employers are going to be on the hook for paying for the testing? Well, that's what we've seen so far. When we were talking, when when we were talking, um, you know, for several months before this, is if employees, I'm sorry, if employers are expected to, you know, test employees returning to the the work site either from a a, a COVID exposure or an actual COVID illness, and they're expected to test and and. You know, we spent a lot of time on that quarantine period, on the testing um, guidance that we've seen from OSHA and the CDC and, DOL, and, yeah. and everybody out there, the local health districts on on testing and isolation and oh, quarantine. Right. Yeah. Right. But is the if employees are to be tested coming, you know, back, um, you know, that that's already presented, you know, various issues on, on the cost. Yeah. Right. And, and now this is just going to make that that even more paramount because I think under this new guidance is, uh, is it testing once a week? Yep. It's weekly testing. Yep. Oh. 
Yep. Yeah, weekly testing for, for, unvac- for unvaccinated. For unvaccinated. So your okay. policy either needs to mandate the vaccine or your policy needs to say that all empl- unvaccinated employees will be okay. tested weekly. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, based upon what pre- all the DOL guidance, I, Department of Labor guidance I've seen, it's in the past employers were needing to pay employees who, who were going to go get tested. Um, I don't know that that's going to change in this case. I know for a fact that the new guidance issued by the Biden administration, excuse me, states that uh, employers are on the hook for paying for time that an employee takes to go get vaccinated uh, or time that they take to recover from vaccination side what, effects. What about a test? See, and that's, yeah, we don't know. that's, I mean, in the past, yes. So I, I, who knows what they'll say. Um, you know, I, is it crazy to imagine a scenario where it comes out that the employer's on the hook to pay for, or the employee is uh, on the hook to, pl- to pay for the test and employers don't have to pay for testing uh, in an effort to encourage employers to go the vaccination route and employees to get vaccinated? That's, I, I think it's on the table. I don't know. We'll see. And th- Yeah, we'll see. And then it leads to the whole other part with you have employees that don't want to pay for that testing or can't. Are they going to just leave? Right. Yeah. They're going to go say, okay. And this is the challenge for larger employers uh, with the with the options out there of smaller um, employment opportunities potentially uh-huh. that fall under this. It's it's a balancing act. Totally. And, uh, and so it puts a, a burden on these employers that, that fall with, within these uh, requirements. Yeah. And, you know, there's other implications too. You know, we don't know what kind of test if – if an employer goes the testing route, you have to keep track of that keep track of the testing information. Not only do you have to, you know, find a mechanism by which you can find the tests, which are hard to find now. Um, we don't know what kind of tests are going to be required. There's a reporting requirement with all of that confidentiality concerns, a lot of challenges. Um, and so it'll be just, it'll be interesting to see kind of where employers fall um, and where, yeah, how they balance these, these implications. There's a lot of moving parts here totally. with, um, yeah. with with how to do this. A lot of kind of unanswered questions or maybe some trial and error, mm-hmm. right, with the employers on how they, they deal with this. You yeah. know, if, how, how they're, if, they, if they go the testing route, sometimes it takes a couple of days to get the test results back. You know, what do they do with that? Are they having employees come back and, yeah. you know, are they having them? I don't know. It's, so there's a, there's a lot of unanswered questions that, that looks like there's been a trial and error. If anything, what we've learned – you know, through the course of a year and a half is nothing goes as planned. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's clearly what we thought. Expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. And, um, you know, we do our best right now to interpret the guidance that we have and the, the laws as written. Yeah. But, you know, that changes with, yeah. with time. It changes new guidance and we have to go back and kind of, you know, think about new approaches and new ideas. So it's, it's kept us busy, um, you know, talking about talking about this and going through these tough issues. Yeah. And one thing I had for you, so for employers that decide they're going to go through for the mandatory vaccination requirement, what are some things that they need to be aware of um, outside of just the practical implications, you know, legal requirements as far as accommodations? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we, we know, um, we know there's basically two, two type of exemptions that an employee can request as a reasonable accommodation. One, the medical exemption. And uh, haven't seen a lot of that. Yeah. You know, there's the, the big focus, I believe, and from what I've seen, is this religious, you know, this religious exemption. Under Title and, Seven, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and what that means yep. and what type of information those employees have to provide. 
um, what we know from prior guidance on uh, religious exemptions on this accommodation issue is it doesn't mean that a person is a member of an organized, um, established type of religion. Right. What we know is is religion has been broadly interpreted by by the courts over the years. For a number of years, this has been a challenge. Um, this this has been issues on in these cases of what qualifies as a religious belief. And yeah. we know from the exemption to qualify, it's not just a religious belief, but yeah. you have to have a sincerely held yeah. religious belief. And so what we've seen from past questions is not so much is um, this employee comes to me and says, I have a religious belief. It's not so much, um, well, is that really fall within a religious belief because that's so yeah. broad. The or question, does the religion really require that? Right. They're not going to really engage They're not going to in dig that. into that, right? Yeah. They're not going to go dig into, say, it's an organized religion and find out what leaders of that religion have necessarily said. And they're not going to deal with that. What they're going to, what the focus has been is what is a sincerely held religious belief? Is this person just saying this so they don't have to do something, in this case, the vaccine, or do they truly have a sincerely held type of belief and we've seen some guidance on the EEOC um, and and you know from the courts yeah. frankly on on what what is permissible as a, as a sincerely you know held belief yeah. what type of things have we seen that that qualify or allow not qualify that would allow a um, employer to further question yeah what kind of things have we seen yeah so a few things uh, I'll give you an example of what we have currently seen. And it's a difficult position for employers to be in because a lot of them, a lot of employers are nervous about really asking much more and you know, they are trying to respect their employees' privacy and respect their actual religious belief. And so it's, it's difficult. And a lot of employers have elected to maybe not dig as much and not really question it at all. Um, I don't know how much that's going to change with the new regulations that come out from OSHA, but it, yeah, it remains to be seen. Well, I guess the question really is what kind of proof, you know, can an employer ask for? Yeah. And so if an employee comes in and says, Hey, I have a sincerely held religious belief that, you know, I don't, that prevents me from getting the vaccine. And then that employee turns around, leaves the office and then tells a coworker, yeah, you, if you don't want the vaccine, all you have to do is lie or tell them you have a religious belief and you don't want it. And the employer, the whoever was the you know HR your HR representative or whoever it was heard that they may have an objective basis to doubt that the sincerity of that religious belief. And I think that's the key there. I mean, that, the guidance we've seen it has to be an objective type objective of type of thing. Yep. And so when that happens, you know, you can require some evidence. You can require you know an affidavit or um, things from the church or the religious organization or whatever it may be, kind of establishing that um, sincerely held religious belief. Um, and also, you know, you can rely upon objective evidence, such as, you know, you heard from the employee that he was, you know, maybe he sent a text to the wrong person saying, you know, this is all you need and you have that text, things like that. Um, that would kind of back up your claim that, okay, this isn't really sincere. You know, I've also seen too, I mean, in cases, because as, as we mentioned before, it's not the religious exemption is not tied to an organized you know, right. type of conventional religion. And so in that aspect, if somebody, you know, claims a, uh, 
claims a religious belief based on some organized type of religion, it would be appropriate if an employer had an objective belief to then say, well, can you get me a statement from your clergy member, pastor, you yeah. know, whoever, um, about, uh, you know, about that. Some things that come, come in mind and are permissible to ask about, you know, document, some sort of document, like you said, an affidavit. It doesn't necessarily have to be an affidavit. Yeah. It could be a statement. It's worth saying, yeah. Anything, uh, right, yeah. right, about uh, describing the belief, um, when the person embraced the belief, um, how they adhered to that belief, you know, things of that have been permissible to to ask about. Mm-hmm. And again, you're not going on a fishing expedition, for yeah, example. Yeah, it's on you're a not, treasure hunt. Yeah, you're, yeah. Not tre- you're not just doing it just to find out, but you're you have an objective reason to believe that they're not being sincere about yeah. that. And so you can ask, you know, for those for that type of information. And so if a person does not belong to an organized type of religion or maybe not active in that religion or whatever the case may be, um, you can ask the the employee to provide a statement from a, a neighbor or friend or, you know, some somebody else that has knowledge. Can speak to it. Yeah, yeah, can speak to those those issues. Again, the point being with this, with the dive into testing a sincerely held belief is done on a case by case basis. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's yeah. no one size fit fits all. Yeah. The, but the point being is an employer can follow up with additional information or request for additional information, you know, if they have an objective basis to believe that that, that is warranted. So a yeah. lot of a lot of issues. A lot of challenges. Yeah. A lot of challenges. This guidance should hopefully be coming soon in the next several weeks, couple weeks. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what what's said and where we go. Yeah, stay tuned on that. Uh, you know, we've gone through a lot of information here today and you know there there could very well be some updates to yeah. what we just said, you yep. know, next week or so. So, anyways, great talk talking about these uh, issues with you. Yeah. Um, you know, some some heavy serious issues. Um, you know, maybe next time we can throw in some sports or some other yeah. you know type of discussion, yeah. right? Yeah. I, can, yeah. I can really give you an earful. <laughs> so, <laughs> that sounds good. Okay, thanks. thanks. Thanks Taylor. Thank you.